with rising billions, disrupting tradition, always be closing, gaining exponential wisdom from street smart strategies. I dream the kind of dreams that other people said would not be possible. Free your mind. Nothing happens till something moves. I'm a big fan of going all in on your strengths. Create your blue ocean. Innovation and collaboration with competition. Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? Creating uncontested market space. I worry that people don't tap into their strengths. Wealth creation and a new economy entrepreneur. There is a very thin dividing line between success and failure. Witnessing unprecedented technology. You can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Welcome to the Think Bold, Be Bold Show with Christopher Gumby and Alan Witch. Hey guys, I can't wait till uh, as as we move forward here talking about uh, uh, you know the Moderation Institute. We talked a lot last uh, at the last event about uh, you know uh, both sides of the kitchen table and working with the kids from both perspectives and working with uh, with families of, of influence and, and what that really meant, the kind of impact it had not only on their family but uh, on the community around them, but. But this particular topic as well is probably one that's uh, more suited for the for the global economy than anybody else because I think everybody has either had somebody in their family or knows somebody very close that's dealing with uh, dealing with this this topic of um, you know moderation and it doesn't come in the in the form of uh, of alcoholism and alcohol consumption and and uh, you know what the moderation institute does and and uh, Brad I, I if you're willing I'd like to see you just kind of dive right in Chris what do you think yeah let's do it awesome excited Tell to be back the... guys having sorry no go for it I was just going to say I can't stop thinking about our last conversation and, and just the idea of raising that vibration and and really been trying to make a conscious effort in my life to do so and and just I think it's so important to note to people in general that that's an ever 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 moving forward in terms of effort two steps forward one step back I think so many people out there that have a platform or are able to influence others come from this position of I'm perfect look, I'm doing all these things that I say on a daily basis, and I am the epitome of perfection, and you can do it too. And that, to me, is just such BS, and it sets up this false expectation in people, and then they're let down. And, and I think that ties really well into the Moderation Institute, because the goal for us is realistic versus idealistic. You know, what, is, what is human nature? It's much more human to moderate something than it is to cut something out completely. There's a thing called the deprivation effect. And as soon as you remove something completely from your life, what happens? All you do is think about that thing. Whether it's well, a breakup, <laughs> yeah, whether it's a diet, whether it's drinking, whether it's you know gambling, sex, it doesn't matter what it is. As soon as that thing is gone, you become obsessed. Mm -hmm. Your brain just goes crazy. So we started looking at that, and we started looking at other treatment options that exist, whether it's alcohol, uh, gambling, sex, overeating, technology. And what we were finding is that, number one, the success rates are horrible, but number two, these just aren't realistic. The, and part of the success rate is tied because it isn't realistic. 
So as we started doing this research, my business partner, who's a psychiatrist, really started diving in to what other options exist. And so in Europe, for roughly 20 years now, it started in Finland, there's something called the Sinclair Method. And what that is, is you take uh, a medication called naltrexone, which is very benign. It's kind of like taking Advil in terms of side effects. And you take that an hour before you drink, before you gamble, before you, you know, play video games, whatever your vice is. And it essentially is working with the reward system in the brain. And so instead of you know, let's say drinking is my thing, which it used to be, when I have a drink, instead of this overwhelming pleasurable response where my brain just floods with dopamine, this medication buffers that and minimizes that dopamine response. And therefore, the reinforcement isn't there. You know, think Pavlov's dog. So every so time I drink, there's not this, wow, this is amazing, let's do that again. It's, uh, I could take that or leave that. It wasn't that exciting. So it reduces the reward mechanism. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And which is just, it's a, it's a game changer and it makes perfect sense. Uh, but, you know, when you look at it, it's amazing that this is not more common in the United States. You know, we're the first program like this in the United States. Wow. Which wow. is amazing. It's been around 20 years and they have 80% success rates of treating addictions versus, you know, you're looking at 10, maybe 20% success rates of the traditional treatment methods that are currently used in the United States. So why has it not been here? Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of theories on that. Number one, the medication, when they determined that you could also use it for this, it was in its generic form. So therefore, there's no promotion from the pharmaceutical companies to okay. all the doctors. Yeah. Right? So you follow the yep. money. Number two, sure. uh, quite frankly, if, if, you, if you cure somebody of their addiction, if you remove that as their issue, they don't continue to go back to rehab and treatment like a revolving door that you see with a lot of existing treatment models. Sure. So instead of a lifetime value for a, a patient being, you know, $3,000, which is the cost of our program, you're looking at thirty, sixty, ninety, hundred, twenty thousand dollars $120,000 for some of these places. Sounds, uh, <laughs> sounds a lot like a, uh, 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 a profit model that, uh, you know, for many other pharmaceutical Kind of, and I'm not knocking pharmaceuticals. I take quite a few of them, and I'm very happy to take them because they've kept me alive. So, sure, so sure, I so sure. I get it. But it but it also falls into the category if there's not an economic engine and fuel behind it, it's not going to get it's it's not going to get the support that it needs because it doesn't in fact fuel the overall uh, intent of the uh, those in play. And uh, so yeah, I, so that makes total sense, Brad. Bradley, yeah, and, and um, you know, don't. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and don't get me wrong. There is certainly when I talk about existing and traditional treatment models, there are certain aspects of that that benefit somebody tremendously. And it it really is important to note that any of these vices they exist on a spectrum. Not everyone is a fall down, sleep under a bridge drunk. Some people just have a problem right. with alcohol because maybe they <laughs> lost a loved one. Very different yeah. scenarios. And so they need to be treated differently. So, you know, there, there are certainly benefits to the existing models. That, you know, I benefited from a lot of those greatly. You know, for me, it was a combination of all these things that worked well. So I'm not here to, to knock everything that already exists. I just think as a, as a field, we are in no position, given the current success rate, to act as if we've already found the holy grail for treatment. And unfortunately, a lot of the industry operates that way.
Right. Now, yeah, can you give us a, a program overview and, you know, for instance, if I was, um, you know, someone that was uh, suffering and I wanted to uh, look into this program, what, what are some of the things that you would, uh, you would tell me? Sure. So it's quote unquote for a friend, right? That's what everybody says to us. <laughs> when they call, I got this friend who's struggling. <laughs> yeah, I got this friend, uh, Bradley. Tell me, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, how is it going to help my friend? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, one in seven people in any given year are struggling with an alcohol use disorder. One in seven people. You know, this wow. is not this is not uncommon. You know, we all know somebody, whether they're admitting it or not. And and the beauty of this program is it's it's not it's not pulling you out of your life. You're not going to rehab for 30 days. Right. You're not having to tell your job and you know tell all your friends. It's let's take care of this and let's move forward and let's continue with our lives in a meaningful way and continue to get healthier and healthier. So for our program, if you're coming in, you're looking at 90 days, and within that 90 days, it's all outpatient. So you'll come in, you'll meet with the doctor be assessed, you got to apply to the program. We only work with so many people a month because we're really big on the intimacy and the individuality and, and really having someone who's committed to this versus, ah, yeah, I, I might do this, I might not. We right. really want people that are invested in getting better. And so with that, they'll come in, they'll, they'll do this assessment and application process if they're right for the program. They're looking at about 10 sessions over the course of 90 days. And so, you know, this is not overly intensive. This is not you're going into, you know, treatment five days a week for three hours every day after work. You know, this is something you can build into your life, sort of like an exercise program, right? I mean, even less intensive than that. And so they're meeting with either the doctor or a master's level therapist, and over that 10 sessions, they're learning tools to moderate, they're being provided with the medication, and then they're also getting some cognitive behavioral therapy to really understand what their core trigger is that's moving them to use these substances or abuse these vices in the first place. So it's very just, you know, let's get to the core of this. Let's get you past this, you know, first 90 days, which can be the most challenging. Let's start rewiring that reward system in the brain. And then we can make some real informed decisions on whether you, A, need more treatment, or B, if you're, you know, ready to go. I mean, you could be, that's all you need, depending on what level you are, where you are on that spectrum. Um, so you mentioned going into uh, a location. Right now, where is that location? What is the um, plan uh, for the Institute as you move forward? Because, you know, this is a big country. So mm -hmm. uh, people, you know, from all over, um, and as you've mentioned, one out of seven would definitely put us into millions and millions of, you know, issues or challenges out there. How are we going to help or particularly your program in terms of reach, um, have you thought about that? Scale it. Yeah. Great question. So we're we're currently exploring. We're doing it within Arizona only, uh, but we're offering telemedicine. So you know, the first visit you have to come in and see see the doctor. There's no exceptions to that. But then you can continue via you know a Skype like setup. It's not Skype because it's not privacy sure. compliant. Um, but you're using a telemedicine platform in order to continue those sessions. You know, if you live far away, if you can come in and, and see the therapist or the doctor directly, awesome. You know, but okay. if not, then you'll, you'll do it via telemedicine. But gotcha. if people are looking for resources and they are outside of Arizona, you know, I certainly encourage you to call. Um, I'm happy to even talk to you myself if, if, if I'm available and walk you through 
resources or options that might exist in your area or, or just give you some coaching or any of that kind of stuff. So, Understood. And um, obviously, if it's a you know major uh, challenge in someone's life, going to Arizona for the first meeting, uh, you know, certainly sounds like a great investment. And then thereafter, it could be handled uh, through a telemedicine and, uh, and right. coaching. Sounds uh, mm -hmm. sounds uh, you know sounds like something that um, obviously uh, over time and as you guys grow this, that you know potentially could be in you know outside of Arizona as well, and maybe one in every state or, or something. And you know eventually as this thing grows, so. Kudos, hey, kudos for you guys. Thank you. Hey, Bradley, I, got, I want to follow up with, with what Chris was talking about, about scalability and so forth, but take it a, a little bit of a, a, of a different direction. What about the people that are chronic alcoholics? Let me give you a definition as to what I'm talking about. Um, you know, and, you know, my father was a chronic alcoholic. He's, he's gone now. Um, but I know that, that, that he would want me to use his story if it, if it uh, helps somebody else. He was a functioning alcoholic. He, uh, he drank all day, every day, and he went to work and uh, did his job. It, it affected the family. He never abused. There was no physical abuse. But we lost part mm -hmm. of dad because, obviously, he was, uh, he was uh, you know, and he, and it didn't take much. It took maybe a half a shot because he was, you know, saturated enough that it took very little alcohol for him to get his uh, satisfaction, whatever that ended up being, because he was still a functioning alcoholic, but he had it to work and so forth. He and I got into a mm -hmm. fight one day. Well, I don't really call it much of a fight, but that's when he'd stopped cold turkey after 45 years of drinking. Uh, I think that's very unusual. But what do you have? How do you work with somebody that's, that's put in a, a lot of years that it really is a chronic alcoholic that uh, maybe they, you know, maybe why this all started is so long ago and now they're, now it's a chemical dependency. Um, like you said, you know, replacing it now. How do you, is there a different approach to the chronic illness side of this as opposed to the habitual side of this? Well, surprisingly not. Uh, I would have assumed there was when I first started hearing about this and understanding it myself. But what we see is, is if someone can be compliant with the idea of taking this medication an hour before they drink, so for mm -hmm. some people that's a real challenge and they're not able to do that. But what we've moved to is, is instead of just offering moderation for the rest of your life where you choose to, to drink when you feel like it, you know, have a glass of wine with dinner or whatever your goals are for drinking, people move into sobriety via the same method. So in contrast right. to the existing model where, you know, you go into detox for five days, you're the most miserable experience of your life, you're shaking, you're losing your mind, and, you know, you just quite frankly want to curl up to, into a ball and, and die. In contrast to that, we're allowing them to moderate and ease into sobriety because once you change that relationship in the brain with alcohol, we find a lot of our patients just don't want to drink anymore. They don't have that need to have a glass of wine with dinner. It's just not there. So they can move into a place of sobriety, but do it in a gentler, softer way versus, oh, I'm going to detox for five days, and now I've got to, you know, white-knuckle it and get through and, you know, stay sober. Instead, it's, okay, I'm going to change that, rewire, or rewire that brain, and then I'm going to move into a place of sobriety, and it's going to be easier to maintain it because you're not fighting against that brain that is just pounding it into you that, oh, I need a drink, I need a drink, I need a drink, I need a drink. That's why so many people fail in that first 90 days. Right. So what, So if you've got somebody, and I keep using my dad as an, experience, as, as, a, as an example, he had bottles all over the house, and he drank, he would, uh -huh. he'd sneak out to take a shot here and a shot there. 
is if I understand the therapy correctly, would he need to take a pill before each one of those shots if he was serious about about mitigating the challenge, or is it like one pill a day? Is is it habitually based? You you associate taking the pill with the desire, and over time, then that that's replaced with something else. Am I understanding that correctly? Great, great question. So it's just an hour before you start drinking. Okay. You know, for someone for like that, it might just take longer to rewire the brain than it might somebody who doesn't drink as frequently or is that, you know, comes home at 5 o'clock and has too many drinks each evening. That's, you know, that's an easier one because, you know, 4 o'clock sure. before you leave the office, you take the pill right. if you know you're going to drink. But then over time, as you begin to decrease the amount you drink and the frequency you drink, then you don't take the medication as often. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I like this whole concept because uh, as we're chatting here, it's really um, showing how the different demographics, if that's the right word, uh, you know, for those that uh, that consume um, on a regular mm -hmm. basis, whether they are a habitual consumer, whether they consume all day, whether they are habitual in that they only drink when they get home, or it's a reward system for somebody. It sounds like it, irregardless as to where you come from and how you got there, that this process will work for all of those people as long as they're willing and wanting to make a change and institute the uh, institute the uh, the uh, medication piece. Well said. Well said and you know it's so exciting because in the next four weeks or so we're going to be doing not just alcohol but that technology piece, the gambling piece, the you know pornography, all those kind of things. So there's uh, there's some real interesting and exciting things coming down down the pike. Now is is that is that reward system? Sorry, Chris. Is that re reward system the same? And so is the medication used the same for those other vices as well? You got it. <laughs> oh, nice. I think you guys are kind of onto something. Yeah, very big. And <laughs> you know, Bradley, from a perspective of the audience listening in, and um, what are some of the triggers? You know that you know essentially set off this. Uh, this feeling and, and, and maybe touch on some of those so that, you know, again, people can relate. Um, maybe they're going through some of them. Um, maybe not. Maybe they're just, you know, it's more of an awareness. Uh, maybe they know someone, as you said, you know, one of seven people, you know, are dealing with certain things throughout, you know, their, their, their time here. And what, what are some of those triggers that, um, you know, eventually, as I know, uh, you know, might be able to open up some new, more healthy behaviors, let's say. And, what, and maybe what are some of the healthy uh, behaviors that get replaced um, from, your, from your perspective? So I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, in trauma. And when I say trauma, there's two different kinds of trauma. There's, there's big T trauma, which is what you think when you think trauma. Physical violence, sexual violence, you know, witnessing a horrific event, combat, those kind of things. And then you have what's called little t trauma, which is more emotionally driven, self-esteem oriented, abandonment issues, those kind of things. And what happens is, is the belief is, is that those traumas reside in your nervous system. And what happens is that nervous system, over time, gets, gets kind of clogged, for lack of a better term. And when that nervous system's clogged, the nervous system becomes dysregulated. The number one symptom of a dysregulated nervous system is discomfort in your own skin. Now, again, this exists on a spectrum. I mean, you have PTSD all the way to, you know, you just have a disproportionate response to something because 
you know, it, it triggers a previous trauma for you. Mm-hmm. For example, if, you know, if your dad always, you know, used the word, I don't know, jackass, right, and called you a jackass every time you did something stupid, and somebody, you know, 30 years later says to you, you're being a jackass. You it triggers a response in you, <laughs> right? There's a right. trauma doesn't have a timeline. And so what happens is you have this disproportionate response where you might blow up at that person. It doesn't make sense. You know, somebody else in that same situation who's called a jackass might laugh it off and think that's funny, whereas for you it touches on this trauma point that then solicits this uh, disproportionate response. So all those kind of things are are what we're dealing with when we, we operate as a human being and deal with others. You know, we all know people have their sensitivities, and so depending on what your combinations of sensitivities are, that's what's going to drive you to want to change the way you feel. So how frequently those are coming up in your existing relationships or, you know, within your current work or whatever it may be, that's going to trigger you to want to, to wanna change the way you feel, whether that's through alcohol or gambling or sex or whatever it may be. Fantastic. I'm just writing as fast as I can here. Even though this is being recorded, I can always go back. I don't, I'd like to get it down the first time. Sure, uh, I gotta, sure. uh, I want to follow up with that um, a little bit, talking about trauma. Uh, what Does this process, and I think I already know the answer, but I want to ask it anyway. Does this process work with an, uh, in an intervention environment? Intervention starts out, of course, with the, with the patient not willing to do anything, but with the family saying, okay, whatever, for whatever reason, we've reached the limit. You've reached the limit. Uh, Maybe you're, we, we see death as the next thing or a very, a very large uh, disproportionate result from continually, you know, I- indulging. And so well, does it work in the beginning or is it a good fuel uh, for those looking at intervention? Uh, again, it depends on where they are on that spectrum. You know, first we start with a conversation with the family to really understand where they are and where the individual is. And then based on that, sometimes we can just intervene ourselves, you know, with our own staff. And then depending on the severity and the amount of resistance or anticipated resistance, we can bring in a dedicated interventionist, uh, of which I, I've, I know plenty from working in the field for so long that are extremely talented, and that's all they do is come wow, in and cool. work with families and the individual to get them in a place of being receptive to this idea of treatment. Is this something that is that can be covered or uh, worked with through insurance, or is this a, a, a through private, um, you know, private uh, uh, billing and so forth, and, and something that's not necessarily through a regulatory agency? Uh, so, good question. Real quick on the the intervention piece, just one last thing to that. The beauty of what we're doing is, if you think about in contrast to an existing um, immediate sobriety-based model. If you go to an individual who's struggling, let's just say with alcohol, and you say to them, hey, look, I want you to do this program that's going to allow you to taper off your drinking, and it's going to do so in such a way where it's going to change that reward system in your brain, and you're not going to crave it so much. And by the time it's, you're ready to quit drinking, or maybe not, depending on how it works out, then you can make that decision. Is much more different and much gentler then, okay, you have to make the decision. Right now, you, have to be, you want to be sober for the rest of your life. You're going to detox, and then you're going to rehab, and we'll see how it goes. Gotcha. It's a scalable approach. Right. Yeah, it's just, you know, terrifying versus, 
you know, a much more palatable, again, that they're, they're able to, to ease into it and then make a, a conscious choice versus a decision when they're in such duress, both, phys both physically and mentally. Um, as gotcha. far as the insurance question, great question. So, uh, you know, essentially you're, you're seeing the doctor who's a psychiatrist and a master's level therapist. So we can provide you with what's called a super bill that will itemize these things, and then you can then submit them to your insurance. Um, as far as whether or not they cover that, it's entirely based on your policy um, and your insurance provider. We we currently don't get into that piece of it um, because you know insurance is, as everybody I'm sure has experienced, is a nightmare these days. So at, yeah, at this time, is. we're just cash only. You know, the $2,900. We purposely priced it as reasonable as humanly possible. You know, most deductibles and out-of-pocket maxes for insurances far exceed that $2,900 these days. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is that, and is that, that, not to get too detailed, but is that all up front or is that half now and half as earned or? Currently it's all up front because, you know, the demand that we have for the program, it's, it's uh, you know, we don't have to, to do any other, other version currently. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Well, Bradley, I have to say that, you know, I commend you on, you know, taking, uh, you know, this approach to you know an issue that's out there um, and something that you could definitely help with based on the science and wow my friend hats off uh, yeah. amazing um, amazing amazing and, and you know this show's done a little longer and we have to actually do a little part two uh, just to squeeze this part of it in but it was so important uh, to get this message out that we wanted to be able to do so and i wanted to thank you for taking the time out with us and spending that time and and uh before we go though uh tell people how they could uh you know look into uh what you're working on and and where they need to go absolutely so you, know, you can go to bradleycallow.com uh, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-C-A-L-L-O-W and find both both sides of the kitchen table, which, by the way, we're excited to announce we're, we're also going to do not quite a rebranding, but another iteration of it called Rich Legacy. So that's, that's exciting news on that front that we talked about last episode that's since changed. And then the Moderation Institute, make sure you get the the in there. As everyone who's an entrepreneur out there knows these days, finding a dot-com is about Sure. The most challenging part of the entire <laughs> business process anymore, I swear. So it is the, T-H-E, moderationinstitute.com. Again, that's so the moderationinstitute.com. Fantastic. Alan, always a pleasure, and this was such a great show. Uh, it was. Part two, and, uh, you know, so important that we wanted to make sure that we uh, got it all in. Uh, so, therefore, this is part two of uh, the original show. And uh, Bradley, thank you again. Alan, always a pleasure doing uh, these shows with you. Why Likewise, my away? friend. Likewise, my friend. Um, thank you. It's been great. I, we could talk about this for a, a long time um, and probably not repeat ourselves very much, but uh, great content, uh, great concept, and great mission. And Bradley, let us know how we can help you promote and educate the, uh, the globe, really, on, on, on this new, new approach to uh, moderation. I think it's fantastic. I think it's going to help an awful lot of people. And uh, I'm glad we're, we're, we're in on, a, on you know, maybe a fairly ground floor um, introduction to it. But uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate uh, all bet. that you do, your time and effort. And uh, Chris, as usual, love you, my buddy. It's uh, great doing the show with you. And I really, uh, really appreciate being able to bring such value and some great people to uh, to our audience. 
Thank you. And um, right back at you and to the audience. Thanks for tuning in. And it wouldn't be a show without me saying, do something nice for someone today. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.